Absolutely a banger that is. That is a banger. Everybody, this is a, our part two to our Lord of the Rings look back at the classics. Yes, so do make sure you checked out part one of this episode. Where we talk a bit about the background of Lord of the Rings, mm. about the filmmaking process, and of course, we talked about the first in the epic series, Fellowship of the Ring. Fellowship of the Ring. And we're going to dive straight in, because we're going to be talking about The Two Towers. The Two Towers, Came yes. out in December 2002, mm-hmm. and... This possibly scared me more than the first one. <laughs> I was mm. really scared of the marshes when I was a kid, where Frodo falls into the water yeah, and you have the yeah. dead marshes. I was really scared when I was a kid of like ghostly things, mm-hmm. and that really freaked me out. That is pretty scary. So we went after Christmas Day, mm-hmm. went on Boxing Day. I think that was the time my uncle came from America. <laughs> he fell asleep during it. <laughs> huh? Well, he had just arrived, like, the day before, so bless. I think he was quite tired. Oh, I mean, that is quite an undertaking. I mean, I was a bit offended that he fell asleep, of course. How could Mm -hmm. you fall asleep in such an amazing film? (laughs) But, you know, fair enough. But The Two Towers was really gripping, and it was really exciting, because this is where the storyline splits into three. Mm. And, you know, we're following Frodo and Sam on their journey, where Mm -hmm. they meet Gollum, Mm -hmm. who we're briefly introduced to in the first film. Then we have the storyline with Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli. They're trying to rescue Merry and Pippin. But in the midst of that, they meet Gandalf. And Gandalf is now Gandalf the White. Gandalf's back. I mean, hey. Hey. Here he is. Spoilers in case. Spoilers. (laughs) And that leads nicely on to the fact that we have a third storyline with Merry and Pippin, who are okay. They're hanging out with some trees, which are called Ents, in this Middle-earth land. I mean, basically, things are kicking off. Things are kicking off. And this is where the political side kicks off, because once Aragorn, Gimli and Legolas realise that Merry and Pippin are okay, Mm -hmm. Gandalf the White's like, dude, you got to help out. Good old Rohan. Yeah, Rohan. Because there, you know, there's an attack coming on men, Mm -hmm. and the king, Theoden's been acting really weird, Mm -hmm. and need to sort it all out. Yeah. So there's a lot going on. Uh, multi-stranded narratives going on. It's nice that it feels slightly different from the first one in that sense. Yes. You know, the first one, as much as I love it, it is somewhat slow. Um, and as I said, it is basically an introduction to everything. So what they need in this one is to let's get things moving. Right. And boy, oh boy, do they get some things moving early on in the second one. We established that Frodo and Sam are actually being followed mm-hmm. by Gollum. And they they kind of capture Gollum because Gollum's trying to get the ring back from Frodo. Yeah. And then, yeah, they they kind of embark on this journey where they need Gollum to lead them to Mordor because... They had. They have. They no have no they, they, they where, where they're, they're going. going. They're literally. They're running around in circles, like just having a good time. I don't think they're having a good no, time. No, they're actually having a pretty bad time of it. Really bad time. Um, but yeah, they they do capture Gollum, and that sets in motion that whole storyline. It's it's really good and it's really interesting, especially because you know Andy Circus playing Gollum mm-hmm. really well, gets to shine. Well, that's the thing. So I was just gonna. You know how I did an introduction of all the characters in the first film. Yeah, let's go for We've it. We've got some new characters in the second film. Mm-hmm. Biggest impact really is. Smeagol slash Gollum, one of the same, played by Andy Serkis. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting because this was a time when they were just figuring out that technology of yeah. motion capture. Mm-hmm. And the first film, that wasn't Andy Serkis, the creature. That was actually something they animated. Right. But then once they realised they could do this motion capture, and obviously Andy was such a great actor, movement-wise, physicality, voice, 
characteristics, mm. all that. Yeah. Um, they really wanted to utilise him mm-hmm. and make sure they got the best physical performance out of Gollum mm-hmm. as possible. And hence, they used the motion capture. Yeah. And he, to this day, Gollum looks pretty good. Oh, yeah. Like, like yeah, it it's, it's pretty well done. Mm-hmm. Even in terms of today's motion capture standards, like... It's pretty good. And some of the best moments of the film is just when Gollum's talking to himself as Smeagol slash Gollum. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The, the inner... You don't have any friends. Yeah. <laughs> That's so sad. It is weird. You Leave would... us alone. You, I would call it monologue, but it's not. Mm. It's like dialogue by a single person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so It's just such an impressive performance. And, mm-hmm. you know, Andy Serkis hits it on the, the nail every time. Hits it on the nail? No. Hits it on the head. Now you're getting some crazy phrases. <laughs> no, yeah. I hit it. He hit it on the nail. <laughs> well, that's what you do want to hit it on the nail, not off the nail. But hit the nail on the head. Hit the nail on the head or nailed it. Either one is good. Um, <laughs> There's lots of nails. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, then we have the people in Rohan that mm. Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas interact with and trying to you know help save, sort out yeah. all the men's problems this going a, on. This is a, a large town of of. Men. Yes. Um, and it's led by a king called Theoden, mm-hmm. played by Bernard Hill. Yeah. Classic actor as well. A great actor. Done very well. Very stoic. Very, yeah, like... He's such a good actor. Yeah. And the reason they end up coming to Rohan is because his mind is being poisoned. By, by Saruman. And the sort of mediator of that is Grima Wormtongue. Oh, yes. This is the little helper. Who's played by Brad Dorif. Mm. he's a really slimy horrible guy yeah I mean there was a bit of um, controversy about his character in a scene of this one because you know the monologue he says to Eowyn yeah where he's like I've watched you in the shadows and it's a bit creepy yeah really creepy that's actually from the book that is actually a speech that Gandalf makes about Eowyn but they've lifted it and they give it to Grima Wormtongue instead interesting so in the book Gandalf is not so clean cut no, there's nothing. I don't think there's anything. I think it's his. It's a Grima's delivery of it, really. Oh, I is what see. Makes it it's creepy. what makes it creepy. Yeah. Uh, so it's not intended with that in the book, I guess. That kind yeah. of interesting. But you know, it's done very, very well. It's done really well, and Grima. I mean, like all the actors, is, is really fantastic. And so Eowyn, the person that he's speaking to in that mm. specific scene that I mentioned, is played by Miranda Otto. Right. Brilliant, brilliant Australian actress. Mm-hmm. She's really great. I've loved her in everything I've seen her in. Mm-hmm. She's brilliant. And then, and so Eowyn is the king Theoden's niece. Yeah. And her brother, called Eomer, is played by Carl Urban. And he's been sort of ostracised because he's speaking out against Grima Wormtongue. Like, yeah. Too long, have you watched my sister? Yeah. Too long. Yeah, he's... he's in the shadows. And they, he runs into the motley crew of Legolas, Aragorn and uh, Gimli. Gimli. Because he's been basically expelled from the... Yeah, he's been exiled. Exiled. Um, And so he's in a collective now called the Riders of Rohan. mm -hmm. And, you know, they're trying to do the king's work without the king saying it himself. You know, what does he think his king really needs and wants from those sworn to protect him? So he's going around trying to, you know, kill orcs, get rid of a bunch of Yurikai. Yeah, yeah. We ride north. Yeah. (laughs) And that's that's a really impactful scene once they meet Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli out in the plains. Mm. So at this point, the start of the story, Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli are searching for Merry and Pippin who've been taken by the Mm Yurikai. And the Riders of Rohan are like, oh, we just killed a bunch of (laughs) Yurikai. Oh. (laughs) Uh, So you might find your 
hobbit there friend. There were two hobbits. Did you see two hobbits, laddie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, so we left none alive. I know, sad. And they go there. And another fun fact about the filming, and also another injury. Oh is, yeah, um, I know about this one. Yeah. So there's a bit where Aragorn is overcome with emotion because he realizes, or he thinks, that the hobbits have been killed. And so he kicks a helmet. Mm. And Peter Jackson was like, "It looked great if you could kick it and like so it flies past the camera." And so every time Peter Jackson said Aragorn was kicking it closer and closer to the camera frame. Mm-hmm. So he was like, well, just do it one more time. We got it pretty good in the last shot. Let's do it again. Mm-hmm. And so Viggo Mortensen kicks, he kicks the helmet yeah. and he lets out this gut-wrenching scream. Mm. And Peter Jackson was like, oh, wow, that was really powerful. That was great. That's yeah. the tape. And then afterwards, Viggo <laughs> Mortensen is like, uh, my foot really hurts. He broke his toe in that last take, and that's the take they use in the film, where he cries out in pain. And, but the, 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 it's weird, because like, the scream he lets out is so real. And I know it obviously is real, mm. but obviously if you don't know that story, you're just thinking, oh, that was a good, that was a good take. Some good acting. Well, yeah. he talent, channeled that pain yeah. and let it drive the performance, as Peter Jackson But then says. the scene continues. So I wonder how long a gap was it of <laughs> yeah. him, like, getting this foot injury, not being able to shoot, and then, like, going back and doing it. Unless he was able to shoot. I don't know. Oh, but they probably, you know, did that scene maybe over a few days or, you know, or maybe he didn't say anything until after they'd shot all the rest of the scenes. Aragon, I mean, Viggo Mortensen seems like the kind of guy who's just like, let's keep going. If I'm in the zone, we're just going. Yeah, There's yeah. a bit where he broke his tooth as well. Oh, God. And he picked it up and he was like, has anyone got some super glue? I'll just like <laughs> keep going. And the, the producers are like, no, we're going to get you to a dentist. <laughs> <laughs> he just, yeah. you know, he seems like that kind of guy. I mean, um, Viggo Mortensen, like, he's a really good actor. And I've, <laughs> the things I've seen him in since, uh, I especially want to point out him in the Green Book I watched fairly recently. I just thought he was fantastic. I haven't seen Green Book, but I saw so him in, um, he was in Captain Fantastic and he's so good in that. Yeah. He's good in so many films. Mm. He's been around a long time. And he brings a grittiness. Like this real... He's very chameleon as well. Yeah, he can do lots of things for sure. Definitely. Yeah. And then just one more character, which we haven't mentioned, who's in the two towers mm-hmm. who's new is an ent which i just briefly mentioned when talking about the story an ent called treebeard which is basically a massive tree mm-hmm. that's alive and that's voiced by john reese davies who is gimli yeah Classic. same voice yeah. you can definitely tell when you know it's the same person mm-hmm. but i mean great performances he does because the, the end he's so in his speech it's so like mm-hmm. and also that the ents are these tree beings that have been around for millennia donkeys yeah like longer than Gandalf longer than the elves like they've been about Mm. like and they're like the protectors of these forests and the massive issue they have is they keep seeing the orcs cut down their forests and this is a big plot point of the second film anyway I mean the the orcs are all cutting down forests to make way for their infrastructure Mm -hmm. and then he, he finds Merry and Pippin who make their way into the forest and he assumes they're orcs as well. And then there's this whole journey of them becoming friends and realising that these are hobbits. Yeah. You know, these are, they're pretty chill. We have decided that you are not orcs. <laughs> well, that's good news. Um, and what Mary gets really frustrated by is the fact that they don't want to participate in the war. You know, they say like, oh, well, the issues your friends are having out in Isengard or, or out in Helm's Deep, you know, they're not bothering us <laughs> if it doesn't affect us you know we shouldn't get involved but mary sort of tries to encourage them to help what happens at the end they end up helping mm-hmm. and end up overthrowing isengard yeah which is 
exciting. I love that scene where the dam gets broken. There's so many great details, you know, that the um, that the post-production team did, you know, the animators yeah. and CGI and mm-hmm. everything. It's really good. Because they have, all the trees have their own personality and mm-hmm. their own little moments. And that was Peter Jackson's brief to them was, you know, think about different, like just come up with different scenarios that a tree could be fighting or, or you know, come up against an attack. And they would like draw and animate sort of roughly what they could do mm. peter jackson would look at it and then approve it yeah and they said like you know most of the scenarios and images that they came up with were used in the film oh wow so it's the one where like one of the trees gets set alight mm-hmm. and when the dam gets broken there's a little detail you see it like put its head yeah, in yeah. the water and it gets cooled off yeah just so many these great details mm. amount to what makes a good movie you mm. know like you have to make sure that you're not just focusing on these massive overarching things, but bring back that realism. You know, what would a character do in this world? How would this character act? What, you know, what happens in the story that would affect the way, you know, obviously he, he he's on fire, so he's going to go put his head in the world. Like, <laughs> like this just, just almost one of these things. And it's really nice that that is focused on really well. They take the time to do the details. Yeah. And I think that's what Peter Jackson's really, really good at is honing in on these details. Yeah, making everything feel really real, even mm. though it was a fantasy film. Yeah, and I, I really like the whole storyline with the Ents and attacking Isengard because it's almost like an anti-capitalist mm-hmm. narrative where you have these orcs and these massive power-hungry environmental. beings. Yeah, environmental, like these power-hungry beings, basically, including Saruman, the, the great wizard. And they're, they're building all this infrastructure, destroying all the trees. And actually the trees say, you know, I mean, with... Some convincing from Mary and Pippin. Mm. You know, eventually they go, we ain't having it anymore. It's really sad when yeah. Treebeard looks around and all the trees have been destroyed and he's like, many of these trees were my friends. Yeah. Really sad. But what's funny about J.R. Tolkien is he really didn't like modern messaging being put to his work. Mm-hmm. You know, people saying, oh, it's a metaphor for this, metaphor for that. He was just like, no, it's Middle Earth. It's this story. It's not yeah. to do with the environment or whatever political well, thing I, you want I to don't do. Think, I don't think he was particularly like a caring person. And I, that's a bit harsh. No, 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 that's that's a bit harsh. I don't think Tolkien was particularly. Um, I think he liked people seeing his work as the work mm-hmm. and not attributing other opinions to it. Does that make sense? But I think that's a slightly naive approach. Oh yeah, possibly. Uh, but I mean, yeah. The the point more is that that whole sequence is just. I really like that because it's like mm. nature fighting back, basically. Yeah, they're strong. Which is just a really good vibe. And I think it's really, I think it's what's impressive about the two towers compared to the other films, maybe, mm-hmm. is that middle chapters of anything are almost more difficult mm-hmm. because there's not a definitive beginning or end. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not building up to the climax of the climax climax, which is coming in the final film. Mm-hmm. And you haven't had the time necessarily to do all this nice establishing stuff that you get to do in front of Fellowship of the Ring. Mm-hmm. So it's quite a difficult film to do. And I think that's what Peter Jackson always said was Two Towers was the most daunting. Mm. And also they like moved some things that were originally from the book in the Two Towers into Return of the King. Right. And sort of changed up the structure a bit more. So I feel like the Two Towers, it was more of a jigsaw puzzle, let's say. But I actually think the result is that it's actually got great pacing. It's got fantastic pacing. I think it really cleverly cuts between the Mm storylines. And coming from Fellowship of the Ring, which is just one storyline, and it's seamlessly moving into these three storylines and you're not feeling jarred at all. Mm -hmm. I think it's really very impressive. There's only one thing I remember from the second one where there's a period of the film where we don't hear from Frodo and Sam for a long time. Mm. And I wonder whether maybe they could have brought that in slightly earlier, but I don't think, 
I think everything they had going on was necessary information. Mm. So it's it's a bit weird. But then when they cut back to it, I'm like, oh yeah. Yeah. They do exist. <laughs> yeah. You know, oh, that's still going on. Oh, and there's another new character in this film which links to Frodo and Sam because they meet Faramir in this movie. Yes. I mentioned Faramir yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. He's played by David Wenham. It's quite like a tortured guy. He works for Gonda. He's Boromir's brother. He finds out that Boromir has died and he asks Frodo and Sam when he captures them, like, what happened to my brother? And, and by this point, they had already left before Boromir had Yes, yeah, so Frodo didn't know that yeah, he was he, dead either. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Faramir's like, I was hoping as his kinman, you would tell me what happened. Yeah. And um, he's... Oh, and they, they have such a good, like, interaction in the second one because mm. Faramir is kind of aware that Gollum is this sort of creature kind of leading them astray, mm. but he's not quite sure how to interact with them because he doesn't know the full details of what the mission is, what's going on. Eventually he finds out, but... It's weird. There's kind of this, like, it's not cat and mouse game, but, like, there's this kind of, like, discovery game going on where mm. everyone's trying to figure out everyone and it's all a bit tense. And Yeah, you know. and Faramir appears to have these political motivations and, you know, he's like, oh, I could bring the one ring to my father. You know, he gets tempted and almost corrupted by it. Yeah. But really what we learn in the third film is that actually is from a son wanting to prove himself to his father yeah. rather than like the obvious political motivation that we think it is mm-hmm. and Faramir is one of my favorite I mean, he's not okay he's not one of my favorite characters in my top three or four but yeah. he's in the upper half of one of my favorite characters because I think yeah. he's just such a sad character he yeah. goes through a tough time he does it's a, a tragic character mm. For sure. It's really cool as well. Before that, you, you get exposed to the Oliphants mm-hmm. for the first time because Faramir picks up Frodo, Sam and Gollum when they're on this mission to try and... Uh, they're like eliminating like one of the dark forces of, of men. Yeah, that are coming down for the ultimate battle. Yeah, or whatever. Be. And um, you see these giant these giant elephants with massive great tusks and it's, mm-hmm. these, it's called these Oliphants. Uh, Original J.R. Tolkien. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he's an inventor. <laughs> um, I'm joking. No, he's, it's it's really cool. Like, we, we spoke about the Balrog as well in the first mm. episode and, and I just wanted to get across the, the, the sense of, like, the beasts in, mm. in The Lord of the Rings are so amazing. Very well designed. Yeah. And so... I don't want to say real because it's it's not necessarily that they're real, but it's it's that they they represent a sense of scale mm. that isn't shown necessarily through other things in the movie. So you actually really understand kind of power structures, law, locations, and why people feel the way they feel. For example, you know when they meet the Balrog in the first one, Gandalf had before said, "Don't want to go into the mines," and <laughs> yeah. it's like. I see why now, you know, but yeah, but the Oliphants are really cool. Yeah. And like tying back into the Balrog, the way that Two Towers opens Mm. is with Gandalf fighting the Balrog. I remember watching that in the cinema and being like, is Gandalf back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he is, but I didn't know then that he definitely was. Yeah. That's another great sequence is it? Yeah. Oh, the shot when they, I love those opening, because it's actually Frodo sort of remembering it or dreaming about it. Mm. And they you sh- they show more of the fight between the imagined fight. I mean, we realise later that there actually was a fight because he sort of half died, then came back, revived, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this moment, in the beginning, they're like fighting, falling down this massive hole, and then it pulls back, and there's this huge wide shot of this fiery creature and Gandalf just falling. Into oh, it's the an amazing it's image! Such an amazing shot! It's such a good image. And uh, that was based on an image that I think John Howe had drawn, one of the illustrators. 
and yeah Peter Jackson was like I just want that in want moment that. of impact of yeah. it coming down and then as soon as that happens Frodo wakes up and is like Gandalf and that's the start of the two towers yeah so it's uh, it ties really nicely into the last film and just brings you back into the headspace of mm. well, especially Frodo but the world the characters yeah. and then obviously later Gandalf the White appears yeah he's, he's back in the forest reborn reborn I think the, the, and you the, think it's Saruman at the start cause yeah yeah because everyone everyone says beware the White Wizard and at this point you know the White Wizard as Saruman that's what you think yeah, yeah. So then Gandalf reemerges, reborn. And if you're if you're someone who doesn't really know Lord of the Rings, why has Gandalf been reborn? He's been brought back to uh, you know help the task uh, be delivered, basically. Yeah, <laughs> I mean Tolkien. Without going too into it, I don't know loads about it, but you know in Middle Earth there are gods, and you know the gods other set lands, the, yeah, other lands, and like the gods set the destiny of whatever's going on, and they clearly deemed that Gandalf needed to help out. Yes, he, so they were like, you know what, can I come back in. <laughs> he's he's back, but but temporarily, he's not back forever. Yeah, yeah. Just till this, you know, the mission is ideally complete. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the mission wasn't complete, what happens to Gandalf then? Oh, he's chilling. He's chilling. <laughs> he's having a good time. In a sour on uh, infested lands. Lovely. Yeah, lovely. <laughs> in terms of like the character growth in this film, actually, a lot of the emphasis is on these new characters, so Smeagol and Gollum. Mm. You know, he's sort of evil Gollum and then Smeagol's realising Frodo's being nice to him and he tries to sort of expel Gollum from himself. Yeah. But then it gets twisted and turned with Faramir's interaction with him and feeling betrayed by Frodo. Mm-hmm. So actually the villain Gollum re-emerges Returns, yeah. in Smeagol. So he goes on quite a journey in that film because Smeagol doesn't then really appear at all in the third one. It's really Gollum's presence so strongly. Yeah, yeah. And then Faramir, he goes on his journey because he, he wants to utilise Frodo and and the ring to his own mm. advantage. But then ultimately realises the horror of the power of it. Mm. And is like, I need to actually do the right thing and yeah. help you get this ring away. Mm-hmm. And I think Samwise goes on a big character journey. He, you know, you're starting to see, well, the fraying of Samwise and Frodo's relationship over Gollum. Mm-hmm. Samwise being very untrusting of him. Mm-hmm. Probably for good reason. For good reason, really. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, like Gollum is this very big conflict and uh, direct intervention between Frodo and Sam's relationship. Because Gollum represents everything that Frodo could or is becoming. Yeah. And Sam can see it mm-hmm. because obviously the ring is a corruptive influence. And the reason Gollum is the way Gollum is, you know, why Smeagol transitioned into Gollum is because this ring over hundreds of years corrupted him to the point of becoming unidentifiable as a hobbit now mm-hmm. you know and not only that i mean he was tortured by orcs and and all these people to for information on the ring and stuff like that but yeah samwise can sort of see what could happen and he's this sort of solid rock of like trust of i mean who's the real hero of lord of the rings really i mean it really is samwise Genji. of course it is i mean that's the thing most people are they love Sam Wise. Everyone loves Sam Wise. Don't care about Frodo, mate. <laughs> yeah. Sam Wise is the one. Yeah, he is the Genji. one. All right, so so what is your standout sequence from the second film? My standout sequence? Like... Are we going to say the same thing again? Yes, of course we are. Right. This is... And I don't say this lightly. <laughs> if you want... If you're a filmmaker and you want to know how to do a battle scene properly, <laughs> you watch The Battle of Helm's Deep. Yes, you do. Because The Battle of Helm's Deep is... Dang right. Is incredibly well paced incredibly well shot and just from a narrative point of view just ties everything together incredibly Mm -hmm. well it is one of the 
best fight scenes of any film ever. And I, think, I don't say that lightly. No, yeah. I think what makes it so impactful is that there's constant tension building. Mm-hmm. And it's even just that long pause as the orcs are waiting out in the, or, you know, the Yurikai, the orcs, they're mm-hmm. all waiting out in the rain. And there's that awkward pause. They start hitting their, you know, their weapons onto the ground yeah. against their armour to make this pulsing noise. Mm-hmm. And it's just a standoff. And you have all these kids, all these, you know, old men who aren't soldiers who are being forced to fight. And you know they have no chance against thousands of war, like at least 10,000, yeah. Aragorn says. The Isengard army have come. Yeah. You know. And you just think there's no way. Mm. And uh, even though they get, you know, a bit of reinforcement with uh, <laughs> the elves turning up, yeah. which is very nice, uh, you still get the sense that the battle is so outweighted to the yeah. to the Saruman side. Mm. But there's this there's this idea that like Helm's Deep has been an impossible structure to penetrate from mm. any force. And then everyone's standing there looking at this ten thousand orc army and they're like, I don't know about that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And when he runs one of the massive orc troll things runs with like a fire thing to blow up the yeah. wall. And just the look on Theoden's face is really powerful in that moment because he looks and he's just like Pure shock. Yeah. No one's ever penetrated this wall. Yeah. We've not seen things being blown up in this way before. Yeah, yeah. Like, what's happened? We actually are going to all die. Uh, yes, there's the line that Gandalf says as a foreshadowing, like, look to the light on the first, on the fifth day. Mm-hmm. Look to the east. Mm-hmm. And, and then they're fighting. The fighting starts, doesn't it? And then they see Gandalf. But that's not till the end of the battle. No, I know, but they mm-hmm. see Gandalf up there and they're like, Ah, Gandalf is here to save yeah. us, and then just elves just like coming to help him out. Yeah. Um, it's not elves; that... it's Rohan. Oh, Rohan, Rohan sorry. Yeah. Oh, I'm forgetting so much. But the more important stuff is just like pacing-wise, tension-building-wise. Mm-hmm. Like it is so amazing, <laughs> and I really love the bit where Legolas and Gimli fight because mm-hmm. they like fight on the little walkway, don't they? They like doesn't he chuck? No, that's Aragorn that... and Gimli. Aragorn and Gimli. That's it. But they like chuck Gimli onto a bunch of dwarves, and he's just going a bit nuts. Uh, he tracks them on to where, yeah, all the orcs are trying to get in the door. Yeah. He says, toss me. I cannot make the distance. You That's have it. to toss me. Yeah, yeah, Don't yeah. tell the elf. It's so good. <laughs> I think it's nice about, again, Peter Jackson's great directing, is putting in these characterful moments. Mm-hmm. So you have the moments of light and fun within very serious settings yeah, with yeah. a lot of tension, uh-huh. with a lot of atmosphere. Mm-hmm. But you still always care about our main characters. And it's... It's a hard ask, you know, there are so many characters mm. I've been naming and explaining to everyone. Yeah, yeah. How amazing that we can really identify each one and mm. each one is very characterful and we can care about each one. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, credit to the writing and Peter Jackson. Yeah. Another standout sequence I want to mention, I mean, there are so many, but just this one from a filmmaking perspective. I really remember as a kid reimagining myself in the scene where... Frodo and Sam reach the Black Gate of Mordor. Mm-hmm. And Smeagol's like, I, here it is, you wanted it. And then he, <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> and then they are about to leave and then Fro, um, Smeagol holds them back and is like, they'll catch you, they'll catch you. Yeah. And uh, Smeagol saves the day. He just saved the day there. But I just remember really viscerally remembering that scene and thinking about how it was shot and why they made those choices and you know as a 10 year old really really deeply thinking about that wow. it really resonated with me and like I would imagine myself as Samwise Gamgee the one thing, in that storyline the, the um, bit that really stands me. out to me from that bit is where they slide down the hill and yeah. Frodo has to like cover up Sam yeah. and they use the elven robe and it just turns into a rock 
And then the two guards come over investigating and they're just like, nothing untoward here. <laughs> so the thing is, there are some things in second and third films which are explained by the extended edition scenes that were cut out in the movie. Mm. So, you know, the robes that they wear are meant to hide them from evil eyes. Yeah. But that's not really explained. And then there are certain gifts or other things that they got from Lothlorien, mm -hmm. they got from Lady Galadriel, that they use in these later films in certain ways, but it's because we didn't see them receive the gifts, which you do in the extended edition. Yeah. You're like, oh, they happen to have this Lamba spread or whatever it is, mm -hmm. you know. But it still works. It still works. I mean, but if you want, if you want more of a deep dive, you know. Well, Peter, Peter Jackson knew people would want more of a deep dive. Yeah, that's why I made it. Watch, <laughs> watch the extended editions. Yeah, and I mean, more of a deep dive. Read mm. the books as well. <laughs> I'm surprised that's the sequence you you thought about as your stand up because the well, other... no, the Battle of Hemsteep is my standout sequence. Oh, right. but I'm just saying a moment that really impacted me when I was ten. And I still remember thinking about it all the time for yeah. some reason. Was that? I also really liked the um, the Battle of the Wolves. I, I'm not you sure. mean the wargs? Wargs. Yeah, where they they kind of get ambushed on when the way to when, the, when the people of Rohan are making moves. Yeah, on the way to Helm's Deep. Yeah, it's, I just remember it being like a really cool fight scene and there's a funny bit where Gimli like gets crushed by something <laughs> and then he's about to get up and then he's almost about to get attacked by another orc and then that orc gets crushed by another thing and you just hear Gimli go oh yeah Gimli's always that source of comedy he is quite it? a comedic character which is why you could have sort of imagined Rick Offerman doing that role yeah Nick Offerman would have been good but yeah no it works it works so. it does work yeah um, alright so I actually have loads of favourite lines from Two Towers okay it's just like full of great lines mm -hmm. all the times I mean the I've already said a few of them. Toss me, I cannot make the distance, you'll have to toss me. Yeah. Another one is potatoes, mm -hmm. boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew, <laughs> no. which Samway says. Then I also love Gollum's up, up, up the stairs we go, mm -hmm. which I use in my life all the yeah. time when I'm walking upstairs. Up, up, up the stairs we go. And then the other one I love is when uh, <laughs> they're running to try and uh, find Merry and Pippin, mm -hmm. and Legolas and Aragorn are clearly further ahead. Oh, yeah. And uh, Legolas is like, come on, Gimli. And Gimli's like, we dwarves are natural sprinters. Very dangerous over short <laughs> it's good. short distances. Yeah. Even. That's probably my one of my favourite ones as well. <laughs> I just thought of one, I'm pretty sure, from the first one, again, oh. which is not ideal. But Oh, I just chuck it. Why not? But it's because I forgot to mention it in the last episode. But one of my favourite ones from the first film is when they decide that they're about to be a, the, <laughs> the fellowship. Say, yeah. yeah, and they and they're like about to take off. And Merry and Pippin have just jumped in and been like, we're going too. And they're like, okay, you shall be the Fellowship of the Ring. And then Pippin's like, so, where are we going? <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. That I mean, the whole it. Council of Elrond I really love yeah. as a sequel. Oh, there are too many. This is why I'm trying not to go too crazy. It's just so that now that I had that in my head, I'm not thinking of ones from the second film, which is not ideal. But like, yeah. I mean, you mentioned the, the best ones, I would say. Mm. Like it's, it, most of them are just the funny ones. Yeah, because it's because as well, like you mentioned, like Peter Jackson's really good at bringing in those hum humorous moments amongst all this seriousness, mm -hmm. and that's why you remember them. Yes, because they they do create the character, and you yeah. do remember it like so well. So, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the two towers did really. I mean, they all did really well. But I think people were surprised how you know it's always hard to follow up the first film, especially if the first film was great. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a lot to live up to. I think Two Towers is the one people thought, mm, middle ones usually can be a bit meh. Yeah. And I know Peter Jackson, they were finding it quite difficult to get it exactly right. 
and just the reception was amazing. Mm-hmm. I think they kept the energy high. Yeah. I think it would have been very easy for it to sort of lull, and they'd managed to really keep the energy high. And like I said, like, the Battle of Helm's Deep is so good. It's so well done. Iconic. It is literally, it's the best battle scene almost ever. There's high high words there. It is high words. It's not just for me. Lots of people think. Oh that. no, I agree. Lots of people think. I that. think so. It's I the subject so. of many people's analysis. Of I, I, no, I do agree. Yeah, obviously I agree. I mean, love it. Well, I'm um, <laughs> all right, then we have Return of the King. Oh yes, moving on, moving on. Two thousand and three. Mm-hmm. Again, so I really wanted to know what happened, and I hadn't read Lord of the Rings, uh-huh. so I between oh, no. film two and three, I read the books on oh, a plane flight no. to Canada. What's wrong with that? Those people read the books. Yeah, I know, but... I was like, I'm going to actually read the books properly. So I was on a... We were flying to Canada, uh-huh. and so I read them on the way. And if I read them, I actually did skip quite a lot. I'm not a very good reader, right. but I really just kept trying to find the bit when it was like Mount Doom and trying to find what happened. Yeah. And all I remember was reading about the Gollum and Frodo bit. But eventually I got to uh, the ending, mm-hmm. which we will talk about. Multiple endings. <laughs> Seven, eight, nine endings, you know. Uh, Rounded off. Rounded off. (laughs) Um, But Return of the King is obviously the climax of the movie. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of political threads happening that need to be rounded off. There's another very big battle at Minas Tirith. Mm -hmm. You know, Sauron's like, let's destroy Gondor, you know, the last stronghold of men, as he thinks. Mm -hmm. And then Frodo and Sam are obviously moving closer and closer to Mm -hmm. destroying the ring. Merry um, and Pippin do get separated. Mm-hmm. You know, Pippin gets a lot of growth in this film. Yeah. And him and Gandalf, the ones at Minas Tirith. Mm-hmm. Pippin takes on a very um, very high agency role. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Mm. And while Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli are going to try and join the fight in Gondor mm. by bringing the Rohan people along, mm-hmm. uh, they actually then sort of des- not desert the Rohan people and Gondor, it appears that way, but actually they're going to find even more reinforcements. Yeah, yeah. Find the army of the dead lingering in the mountains. Yeah. Um, oh, a great sequence of that too. Yeah. yeah. And there's only one new cast member, really, mm-hmm. that's, uh, I think, worth mentioning, which is Denethor, mm-hmm. who is Faramir and Boromir's father. The crazed king. Yeah, played by John Noble. Mm-hmm. And he's, I mean, he's a steward of Gondor. Mm-hmm. He's taking over the Yeah, he's basically the taking kingship. Yeah. He, he, and he feels very threatened by the presence of Aragorn. Yeah. I mean, really, Lord of the Rings is about the greed and the power-hungry nature of men. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's kind of the embodiment of that. Yeah. He's, he's, he's kind of taken over kingship and now he's seeing the return of the king, which should, should be, you know, this unifying moment as a threat to his existence and political power. Mm-hmm. And these, these these themes are threaded out so well throughout mostly the second and third one, because this is the second one is where the political tensions really start to yeah. show. But yeah, really nicely like dealt with in the third one, I think. Yeah, I think in terms of the character growth in this one, it really is Pippin, mm-hmm. but then also Aragorn and claiming this birthright as king. Yeah. And that's what Sauron is really threatened by is he's worried that Aragorn is going to, you know, unify men and, mm-hmm. you know, stand up against him. Yeah. You know, Aragorn uses that as a way to deflect Sauron's attention away from Mordor, etc. So hopefully, you know, Frodo and Sam can make their way mm-hmm. up to Mount Doom to yeah. destroy the ring. Mm-hmm. And as ever, it's not easy for Frodo and Sam. No. Anyway, they fight off against a massive spider called Shelob, which is pretty oh, terrifying. Yeah. Gollum has really manipulated Frodo by this point and... Mm-hmm. He's made Frodo believe that Samwise is a no threat. is a threat, yeah. not good for him. Eating all the lamb is spread. Yeah. <laughs> and he's manip- yeah, he's totally manipulated him. Yeah, exactly. So Frodo is like totally alone when he gets trapped in this spider's lair. 
Samwise comes and saves the day. And it's important to know as well, like, Frodo allows it in a way, like, mm. because obviously Sam, throughout these, the second two films, has been saying, you know, Gollum's bad, Gollum's a bad influence, he needs to go. But Frodo feels a sort of kinship or empathy with Gollum and Smeagol because he understands he the, the, the like, weight of the ring, yeah. not just physically, but mentally as well. He understands how Gollum has come into be. Mm-hmm. But, of course... The naivety is Gollum wants the ring. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. We as an audience as well know that at the end of the second film that Gollum's come back in and taken over. Mm-hmm. But like Frodo doesn't know, yeah, but yeah. Frodo doesn't know that. He yeah. still thinks it's Smeagol. Mm-hmm. It's still very heartbreaking. Because when they're in Shelob's lair, he's like, Smeagol, Smeagol. And then it's definitely not Smeagol talking. Smeagol, <laughs> why does he cry, Smeagol? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, that's really, I remember, because my, I remember my dad said, because he was talking about Shelob or something, I was like, who's Shelob? And my dad was like, oh, there's a massive spider in the third one. I was like, yeah. I don't like spiders. Yeah. And so I knew that sequence was coming. I mean, I had sort of skim read the book as well by that point. But when it came on, I was like, that is one massive spider. And what's interesting is Harry Potter was coming out in parallel. And mm. the second Harry Potter film obviously has the big spider in it. Yeah. But Not quite was, of the size. <laughs> I mean, well, it's, it's massive. But yeah. Shelob... Is a lot scarier. Yeah, I, yeah. I think. Well, because in the the spider in the second one is more in the second Harry Potter is like quite yeah. static. It's a static, like talkative character. Yeah, he kind of looks is like, like a puppet. An, yeah, exactly. Whereas Shelob is is a monster. A, a monster. Like that's gonna eat you. Yeah, and um, yeah. There's the third one. It sometimes it feels like the longest to me. Mm. Not necessarily in a bad way, yeah. but a lot is happening. Yes. Do you remember the first viewing experience you had of the third one? The first viewing experience of the third one. I don't necessarily remember the first viewing experience of the third one, but I have some bits that kind of stand out to me mm-hmm. that I remember. I remember like when Aragon looks at the path to the, the lost city or the lost souls or something, mm-hmm. and there's like this... There's like this gap in in these cliffs, yeah, and and the camera sort of, yeah, almost pans very slowly forward. Yeah, it's a great one. And and you're kind of trying to make out this figure, mm-hmm. and it turns out there's like this ghoul, and Aragon's noticing this, and then this gust of wind comes, and then the figure disappears. Yeah, that's in in between the cliffs by yeah. the campsite. Yeah, and it's, I just remember thinking. That was creepy. Yeah. What was that? Like, was I meant to see that? Yeah. But it's done really well as well, because you know sometimes when films want you to see something, but uh, it's obvious that you're not supposed to see it totally. Mm-hmm. Like, they do it too obvious, whereas it's actually really, like, I, you have to try and make something out. Yeah, you, know? you do. You, you have, have to, to really look. look. I remember feeling very tense, because, again, a ghost and me were not a good mix. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, watching the third one, I was just really excited, I remember, mm-hmm. like, just being able to see it all come together and see where it went in the storylines. Because as I said, even though I had read the books, I'd sort of skim-read them, so I actually didn't really know a lot of what was happening. All I cared about when I was skim-reading the books was, does the ring get dropped into the fire of Mordor? <laughs> uh, and that's what I found out. And yeah. it did happen. Mm-hmm. Spoilers. <laughs> well. <laughs> These are all spoilers. <laughs> so, yeah, I just remember being really emotional at the endings. <laughs> I remember, though, as an 11-year-old, I was like, Oh, it's not ended yet. No, no, here we go. No, no, no it's not ended yet. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk more about the endings later mm-hmm. and the multipleness of them. Yeah. But I just remember being really emotional and like always when I was a kid and even now, I'll just get upset that films are ending. 
Yeah. And I think I just felt so like, ah, uh-huh. but I love, this is a separate note, the end credits of the third one. They have like the sketches of everyone and they right. obviously include Sean Bean in it. And I'm just mm-hmm. like. Well, they have to. I mean. Yeah. He was there. Yeah, he was. He was. And this is the thing about the Lord of the Rings is the Return of the King is a culmination of a three-part film, mm-hmm. a film series. But really, it's kind of one movie. Mm, yeah. It's it's not really three films in the sense of their sequels. They're yeah. almost just three parts of one film. It's meant to be a trilogy. Like, it was built as a trilogy. Exactly, and, and that's, that's, that's why I love it. And I've spoken about this before. But when things are done with intent and mm. creating a trilogy with intent, I love that. If they yeah. know that the vision is coherent across three things excellent love that mm-hmm. and that's why i think lord of the rings absolutely nails it mm-hmm. like super super nails that just nail it yeah i also really love the opening in return of the king with smeagol and the fish yeah we, we did talk about that yeah yeah and I, actually so interestingly that scene was not the start of the movie it was later and they were going to have it where sort of Smeagol was remembering or Gollum like you know what his life was like before mm-hmm. and then that scene was cut from the film and the Peter Jackson was like let's just try it at the start of the movie because they were struggling with how to begin it yeah. or like they had they started it but apparently it just wasn't working it wasn't feeling quite right mm-hmm. so he was just let's just try it at the beginning and see what happens perfect and Peter Jackson was like yes and I actually I remember watching the third film I'm just being really surprised that that was the opening. Yeah. Because every other opening has been so dark and depressing. Mm-hmm. You have the prologue, very atmospheric and very scary. Second film, you have Gandalf the Balrog all happening again. Yeah. Depressing, emotional. And then you have, you know, this sort of sweet-looking guy holding the little uh, maggot mm-hmm. on the hook. And then again, the tone shifts so badly. Yeah, this is it's so the good. heart thumping, like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when he's, like, killing his brother yeah. and it's just... You're like... Because you have the yeah in the background, where, and you like, just see his down, you know, Smeagol's downfall, the and his descent from Smeagol, yeah, descent of madness. But it, it, you're it. right; it, like it is an amazing way to start the film because it really lets you understand the characters. Like, it's the psychology of the psychology of what the ring does to you, exactly, it, and the fear everyone has about that. Yeah, because if imagine if they didn't throw in these sorts of not necessarily backstory scenes but like scenes where you get to understand the characters you this whole time you would be thinking what is the ring yeah what is sauron like and and i know tolkien purposely left sauron to be like an entity and not like something clear person yeah. yeah it's not you're not supposed to really understand what sauron is but you're you're supposed to just understand it's actually really a representation of like malevolence of people's inner voices and souls. The influence of evilness. Yeah, the influence of evil sort of existing. And ego and whatever it is. And so the film is so good at portraying that um, mystique, I Mm. guess. Like, it's trying to quantify something that's unquantifiable. Yeah. And so that we as an audience really understand it and we can really empathise with, I understand why people don't want this ring. I get why people need this evil destroyed, you know. Mm. It's so good. And I really like how there are characters like Pippin, who come more into the foreground in this film, and Eowyn as well, you know. So Eowyn and Aragorn don't really have a love story, but Eowyn fancies him. Yeah. And she's kind of she's kind of a bit wet in the second one. But the third one, she comes more into her own. 
She and takes Mary under her wing. I guess. Takes, yeah, she takes Mary under her wing and, you know, she goes against the orders of, you know, because women aren't supposed to fight back in these days or whatever days these are set. Whatever days. <laughs> whatever days. Uh, but she, you know, goes against the grain and is determined to make her mark and help her mm-hmm. uncle mm-hmm. and, you know, wants to be part of this movement. Mm-hmm. And one of the most epic moments in this film is actually one of my favourite lines. Mm. I am no man. Yeah, she just stabs him. But Especially because there's not much representation of women in this film. So we've got, you know, this is like the best bit for any women in yeah, these exactly, films. So exactly. Let's go, Eowyn. Yeah. Let's go. But it's because you, you, she, she's fighting the Witch King of Angmar, yeah. who's supposed to be, like, yeah. unkillable. Well, he like, says, no man can kill me. Yeah, exactly. And because uh, Mary gives it a go, stabbing him, and he's just like, my arm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. But, I mean, when you compare the battle for Gondor, Minas Tirith, Compared to the Battle of Helm's Deep, mm. definitely the Battle of Helm's Deep is but that, more tense. I mean, they they serve different purposes. That's what I was going to say. Is they, they serve different purposes. Like what you have to think is, and I know you do think this, but <laughs> what you have to think is the the battle for Gondor in the third one is like an ever present. It's not a motif, but an ever present sort of narrative running through the third one mm-hmm. whereas the battle for helm's deep is like a moment yeah you know whereas the yeah. bat- the battle for gondor is going on for bloody ages it's going for ages yeah, yeah. like like you got loads of different film. you've got loads of different sections mm-hmm. uh and it, it's cutting between obviously frodo and sam and i mean other elements happening yeah so it feels pacey enough i mean you've got uh Aragorn and that lot trying to get the undead army to come help, yeah. etc. And there's a really, so there's a really sad bit where, so you know, in the third one, as we've spoken about before, mm. Faramir's like want to want to be accepted by his father comes as like a his clear motivation, and then what happens is his father just sort of says, "I wish Boromir were alive and you were dead," essentially, mm. and then he sends Faramir out to go and reclaim us. It's got Osgiliath, right? Osgiliath, yeah, yeah, and. Um, it's just this really, really sad scene where he's leaving with his troops and Gandalf just says to him, your father loves you, like, he's corrupted, like, you don't, don't do this, you are committing suicide, basically. Yeah. And he just says, you know, think better of me. And then he comes back. Yeah. Oh, I love, uh, yeah, Gandalf's got some great lines. So I've already said one of my favourite lines, which is, mm-hmm. I'm no man. My other favourite line from this film is Gandalf says it, when him and Pippin are in Minas Tirith and, you know, the, the orcs are really advanced and, mm-hmm. you know, it all looks very bad. Yeah. And... There's no place for a hobbit. No, no, no. <laughs> That's not the line. Yeah. Uh, the line is, you know, Pippin's like, um, I didn't think it would end this way. Oh, when and, they're chatting. Yeah, and yeah. then Gandalf's like, end? No, death is just another path, one that we all must take. Yeah. That resonates with me, hits me hard. I hope I remember that on my deathbed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll be yeah. like, Gandalf's there's, voice in my ear. There's a really nice bit where Pippin and Gandalf are talking way earlier, mm. where before the battle's even started, and they're just sort of talking oh, yeah. about what it means to fight. And Pippin says one of the like coolest lines, maybe mm-hmm. not my favourite line, but one of the coolest lines where he says something like, I can't stand the thought of going into battle, but weighing on the edge of one yeah. is even worse. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's a really... like I bet you Peter Jackson and the co-writers were sitting in the writing room and was like, oh, yeah, that's... That's a good one. That's a good one. That lands. Yeah, that lands. Like, yeah, and I was just thinking it did land. Like, there's some really nice moments in across all of Lord of the Rings where 
it's not actually the Battle of Helm's Deep. It's not you yeah. know the Battle of Gondor. It's it's actually just people chatting. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, but it's character moments. Yeah, it's character moments, and 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 it, they're they're quite beautiful actually. Yeah, really. Uh, like they're very. They're either they've got full of character and they're funny and bring the lightness, or they have that gravitas and actually make you really think. Yeah. And are full of emotion. Or do you, what about the bit where, you know, just after the bit that where they're talking, mm. and you know, from um, the city of the Nazgul, mm-hmm. where the light yeah. pierces through the well, sky. Well, that's what happens. And then so there's the. Yeah. It's, it's like. All the creatures start yeah, coming flying out. All the orcs start walking, and yeah, that is such a like. Visually, oh, and stunning. that would always annoy me as well. Like Frodo was so long to like get off oh, the yeah. road again, and Sam was like, "Come on!" Yeah, even 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 Gollum was like, "Let's let's yeah, let, what are you doing? <laughs> let's, go. <laughs> let's go, let's go, let's go. What are you doing? Yeah, Master, <laughs> So, um, all right. So we have favorite lines. Oh, oh, I have. Okay, I have a favorite line. This one. I really, really like. Once everything's calmed down, mm-hmm. and you have the coronation of the king, mm-hmm. Aragorn. He's come back to be the king of men, mm-hmm. and he's reunited with Arwen, and then they walk towards the hobbits, and then they bow to him, and then he just goes, "My friends, you bow to no one," oh. and everyone just bows down to the I hobbits, and and they're all a bit like, uh, <laughs> "Okay," <laughs> but it's just it's just like a really like it sums up the whole concept of the films is like yeah. people. Who you don't expect. Who you do, yeah, like people who you don't expect can surprise you and can be the source of strength and hope. And they stuff changed like the world. Yeah, and they changed the world. They did, the four of them, they changed the world. Because you might think, oh, it was Frodo and Sam that got the ring to Mordor. But, you know, Merry and Pippin were instrumental in taking out Isengard. And yeah, like, other things. Yeah, just they? doing all this other stuff that wouldn't have happened if they weren't there. Yeah. You know? Well, okay then. What's your standout sequence from the third one? Standout sequence from the third one. Oh, my standout sequence is when Legolas, Aragorn and Gimli rejoin the battle. <laughs> and um, Legolas and Gimli are clearly having a, a fight to see who can get them the highest body count, basically. That still counts as one. Yeah, and... <laughs> <laughs> and Gimli's taking out loads he's like doing all this stuff and Aragorn shouts Legolas and Legolas turns around and there's a massive oliphant with like 50 men on it and he he jumps on this oliphant and there's this whole CGI scene yeah. that looks quite good actually I mean there's mm-hmm. there's a few bits that haven't held up amazingly but like it looks relatively good and Legolas takes out this whole thing and this whole oliphant by himself and Gimli just uh, looks at it and goes that still only counts as one I love it <laughs> yeah that's my favourite I really like that it's funny nice my probably standout moment is um, when Denethor's in the hall eating the food. You sort of mentioned it. Where it's when Faramir's riding to Osgiliath. Mm-hmm. And Denethor's sitting there eating like a pig. And uh, Pippin's decided to become, you know, a knight for, for him because he feels responsible for Boromir's death. Yeah, he, he gives indentured servitude to this king, basically. Yeah. This crazy, crazy steward. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Basically, Denethor says, come, sing me a song. Come, and, sing me a song. <laughs> yeah. And Pippin sings a beautiful song. Home is behind the world ahead. Mm. And um, as he's doing that, you see Faramir sort of in slow motion riding towards the Gileath. 
and there are Nazgul flying and like killing them at the same time and the yeah. way that again the sound design and the music works so well in harmony it's just so impactful the song is really beautiful mm. sang beautifully by yeah. Billy Boyd you know that was sort of dropped in quite last minute Philippa Boyens one of the writers mm. apparently the cast and crew used to just go and do karaoke a lot in New Zealand yeah and, oh I wouldn't be surprised no yeah having a whale of a time yeah <laughs> and he heard Billy, she heard Billy Boyd sing and was like wow he can really sing yeah. and they thought you know a song in this moment might be really nice mm-hmm. so he basically just said here are some lyrics you know if you want to come up with a tune and Billy Boyd wrote the wrote the song and That's sang it just then yeah I mean he's got a fantastic voice and he's an established singer now I mean he, yeah he had always I think he's musician yeah yeah example. I mean he's 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 very good yeah. um, and you're right that sequence is so good because the whole song is going you know what's really impactful is when the orcs are all watching this like tiny company of like yeah. horsemen Hunters. riding towards them to try and take back they're just sort of laughing and then they pull back their arrows and it's just like like yeah. just the noise like the it, how like impactful that bowstring pull is but also you've got like the sound of him eating and like the blood coming out of Denethor's face as yeah, he's like grapes, stuffing this the grapes are like the juice is running down it's so visceral and you know it just ends with Billy Boyd so sad because he's just thinking of his friends and what everything that's happening and he could never out of all the characters I think he could just never imagine being in a place like this yeah far more head in the cloud sort of guy than anyone else even more than Merry at this point from Pippin's perspective he potentially has lost Frodo and Sam he potentially has lost Merry he doesn't know what's going on with Merry he knows that the person who he's serving his son has just been told his father doesn't love him and he's about to go kill himself and I mean it's a pretty sad situation Sauron's coming over the hill yeah I mean it's what's that coming over the hill yeah well there you go yeah the great great sequences I think to mention I think we can't not mention the end well the ending where Frodo and Sam toss the ring into the fire. Well, Frodo. Oh, was, when, well, they, when they make it to Mount Doom. Yeah, when they make it to Mount Doom. I mean, yeah. that whole journey up there, you're just like, oh my God, on the edge of your seat. Just get in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Throw the thing in the fire. And, oh, oh, the iconic line. Oh, we've literally forgotten about the iconic line to mention, which, which is where Frodo's about to give up and they're so close. Mm. Frodo's like, I, oh, I, yeah. can't, I have no energy. Like, I, he just flops onto some rocks and Sam's like, I can't carry it for you, Mr. Frodo. But I, I can, can carry you. you. And yeah. it's just like super. He just chucks him on his back and starts making his way really slowly up the hill yeah. into the door. And then just before they get there, they're attacked by Gollum again. I know. I mean, where does that man come from? I know. What, he literally what? got thrown off a cliff. Yeah, so the last thing we saw of Gollum was. Chucked over a cliff. Yeah, chucked over a cliff in Shelob's lair. Yeah. Also, we haven't really described how terrifying the whole Shelob sequence actually is. That is scary. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. that is another yeah. thing that was just terrifying for me. Oh, yeah, same. Well, like I said, it's like the spider yeah. a lot scarier than the Harry Potter spider. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Who, so good, though. Everyone who likes Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, she loves scarier, I mm-hmm. think. Um, yes, but this this end scene, like, it's all building to this moment. Are they actually going to throw it in the fire? And I think Samwise's face says it all when Frodo's, like, turns oh. around and is like, no, and starts yeah. to put the ring on. And Samwise is just like, Heartbroken. It's, it mirrors that moment between Isildur yeah. and Elrond. The bit like, I said earlier was yeah. like, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It mirrors that so beautifully. Oh, what a great filmmaking technique as well to mirror I know, that. Exactly. Um, but then obviously Gollum pops up again and, you know, they're having a fight while Frodo's invisible. And actually, the thing is, is that what I really love about the meaning of it, you know, nobody actually throws it in the fire. It's not a force of good that throws it in the fire mm. because 
the ring corrupts and is a force of evil. It's actually evilness that makes the ring fall in, yeah. which I think is cruel irony. basically <laughs> what happens is, and this is a really, really cool shot where you have, and this is a testament to the music and sound design in this, but um, Gollum actually gets the ring from Frodo. He bites his finger Ooh. off. Yeah, and you and what happens is for, like Gollum just holds the ring up in awe, and is just looking at it and like stumbling backwards in slow motion. And then Frodo, because he's now corrupted, tries to fight and get the ring back. Yeah, and then they both end up falling in, and that's where the ring falls in with Smeagol. Yeah, but Frodo's hanging on, and Samwise yeah. there, of course, is there to save the day. Samwise, of course, he saves the day, man. He's he he's does. always there. I mean, so he this, saves the day earlier. He saves he the day all the time. I mean, this is the this is where the controversy comes about the eagles because oh, the eagles then come and rescue them from mm. the rock right. after it's all exploded. Yeah. Loads of people always say, like, why can the eagles just flown them there? Because it was a secret mission. You don't think that the Eye of Mordor would have seen some eagles flying in. It would have been a bit dodge if eagles were just flying into, like... Because they're supposed to be, like, creatures of the light or something, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, good creatures, basically. If they were just flying into Mordor, Sauron's just like, what the heck are these <laughs> things doing here? Let's yeah. get those. Yeah, yeah, get rid. But it makes sense that they come because they do a really nice... So the first time you see the eagles are when they save Gandalf on top of the tower. Yeah. And what he does is he, like, summons the eagles via speaking to this butterfly. Yeah. And then later in the final battle at the Black Gate, with um, just after the Battle of Gondor, mm-hmm. they're basically trying to buy time for Frodo and Sam. You actually see this butterfly fly past Gandalf. Yeah. So it's just a great little motif. Yeah, it's done you really know? well. And it's, it's like I said, especially with, you know, the no bit <laughs> yeah. as well. It's this foreshadowing yeah. that is really used to great effect. Yeah. So it, when the eagles come, you think, oh, that actually does make sense, but I completely forgot they existed. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And Frodo can't really settle quite in again with his old life. Mm. I mean, Aragorn's been crowned and, you know, there's peace, but he ends up leaving with Bilbo and Gandalf to the Undying Lands, mm-hmm. which is kind of inferred as a sort of heaven place. Because he it just is, doesn't yeah. feel like he sort of fits in. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's the end of the film. The very end image of the film is Sam back at home with his wife, Rosie, and his new kids. And he says, I'm back. And that's the last line of the book. So it was very important to them, I think, to honour that. And then it just says, the end. Oh, don't even. Yeah. This one, 11 awards at the Oscars. And it was just the third one that won the awards, isn't it? Yeah. They had been, people had been nominated for films one and two in production and design and one or two other things. But I think they were holding off because they knew the third one was coming. Yeah, I think. You can't give... 11 Oscars to the same film not the same film but you know what I mean same but franchise that, it goes to the, back to the point I made where it's like it's one film yeah exactly over three, to, three over three it's one story over three films yeah did you know that it's won 11 awards is the most ever won in history tied with two other films do you know what the two other oh, films are two other films Godfather no mm, it's like Gone with the Wind like old nope. ones or, no I don't know Titanic's one of them oh get rid of that okay and then the other one is Ben Hurt Oh, I haven't seen Ben-Hur, but I know about it. Well, so there's also, there's an actor in Lord of the Rings who is in one of those films. So they've been in uh, two of the films that have won most Oscars of all time. Do you know which actor that is? Or character, if you can't think. Ian McKellen? Nope. Christopher Lee? Nope. I'll tell you that it's, they're also in Titanic, not Ben-Hur. Oh. You've seen Titanic, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm trying to think of the characters in Titanic. Well... I can tell you, if you like. Yeah, tell me. Um... It's uh, Bernard Hill who plays Sayadin. He plays uh, the captain on Titanic. Ah. The little hat. Right, yes. I was thinking it might be someone like um, 
the wormy guy? No. No? No. Okay. All right, so we're kind of going to look back at all the films now as sort of an overall thing. Okay. Favourite characters? Favourite characters? I'm only saying characters because I can't pick one. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I assume... I have, like, my top three, four. We're just, you know, a bit cheeky. Hmm. A bit cheeky there. I think, for me, one of the top ones has got to be Samwise Gamgee. Oh, it's yeah, classic. he's one of my top. Absolute classic, mate. Love Samwise Gamgee. Because Frodo's a bit of a wet blanket, to be honest, throughout the whole thing. He's a bit, like whatever mm. and and not that i think in any way elijah wood did a bad job or anything like not like that but that's just the character yeah whether it's him or whether it's the character it's not super compelling yeah for an audience member but sam wise comes in he's like i've got your back i'm here and he's always he's running always... around with his pans and hitting the orcs with him yeah he Love loves it. it yeah he loves it <laughs> he's... he jokes yeah he's great he's great and I always really liked Legolas, but it's I think it's because I always liked the idea of, like, being an archer. Yeah. Like, I just like that idea, and he's, like, this super cool archer who can fling himself around, jump around. And, and elves are really cool because they, they're supposed to be, like, light as a feather. Like, in the first film, before they go into the Mines of Moria, they're trying to take this snowy mountaintop pass, and you see everyone buried in the snow, and Legolas is just sort of toppled the snow. <laughs> like, he's literally fine. He's, he's chill. Yeah. I, I, those are my two favourites. Not for any, like, deep, meaningful reason, but just because I they're just think that, yeah, they're just my faves. Yeah. I always say Samwise Gamgee is my Classic. absolute favourite. I mean, who, who who watches doesn't say that? I mean, yeah. everyone says it. And then I really, I have a, um, I really love Aragorn. Mm. He's just, oh, He's so powerful. We know that shot where his classic thirst shot where he walks in the doors. You think he's dead. He comes, pushes the doors open. He's all dishevelled. Yeah, yeah. He has a lot of agency as a character as well. Yeah, definitely. And I have a very big soft spot for, for Gimli. Mm. He gives me the chuckles. He is funny. He's the funniest character. He's got all my favourite lines, really. Yeah. And my other soft spot is for Gandalf. Yeah. Everyone loves a bit but of Ian also, I love well. Ian McKellen, so I think that's probably... Well, I think that's it. That's also, it. I mean, you said around, around this time he was filming X-Men. I mean, he did brilliantly in X-Men as well. So yeah, my well, at school I saw him in a a recorded version of um, Macbeth from like the eighties or something, mm. and I watched that in year eight, and I remember really clearly like it was on in English, and everyone was really bored. But I was so like taken by his performance, yeah. I was I, just like, oh my god, I love this. I actor. had the same experience, but with Patrick Stewart, mm. watching something of his in class and just being like, this he's so guy's, good. This guy's sick. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many good characters. And there's so many good scenes and sequences from all the films. It's impossible to have said. Like, there's so much more I can say about Lord of the Rings. Mm. But, you know, just, we don't have the time for it. Yeah. So please, everyone out there listening on the podcast, write in. Give us a comment. Please, tell us on Instagram yeah. what is your favourite scene or sequence mm. and who is your favourite character from Lord of the Rings. We want to know. Yes, we definitely want to know. I'm super interested. And then another little favourite I wanted to ask is favourite piece of music because the music is iconic, written by Howard Shaw, I mean, composed by Howard Shaw. Mm -hmm. Genius. Also composed the music to Mrs. Doubtfire. There you go. There you go. I think my, I love, my favourite too mm -hmm. is the Shire motif where it's which I love. And then Rohan is iconic yeah Rohan's yeah. exactly I love I always share that meme of you know Michael from the office holding the boom up and it's the Rohan yeah. thing but yeah that's me yeah. blasting it out that's my honestly that's my favourite is oh, Rohan. Rohan when you hear it it's because it's also the horns that they use for it it's yeah. like so invigorating mm -hmm. but I mean a bigger point about the music is it's so good because its use of these motifs is in immaculate. Like, 
I don't it's like know. Like the if, motif of the nine and yeah, the, and uh, so many things. It's it's how it's not just that these motifs individually are amazing, but like for example, in the Battle of Helm's Deep, mm. what you'll find is that these motifs are all intermingled, mm-hmm. and you won't be able to distinguish one specifically, but you'll hear elements of it fluttered throughout the piece of music that is there, and then you'll bring in another motif when new characters show up, and it's so it's interweaved so well. It's yeah. just beautifully scored. Yeah. And I know, Incredible. like, the scoring process was pretty crazy and hectic yeah. because, especially for Two Towers and for Return of the King as well, you know, they were still editing. The film wasn't locked. And Howard Shaw was like, we've got to record the orchestra, so <laughs> I'm scoring a recording to, like, not finish scenes. You know, you want a locked edit by that point yeah, in yeah, life. Yeah. So that must have been really difficult. I mean, that, that um, would be very difficult. The behind the scenes is really fun to watch because even though it was a big studio movie, it was filmed very, like very independently mm-hmm. you know sort of rough and ready yeah. let's go but that you could just see the passion from everyone the actors the creative team everyone trusting peter jackson well all and i've heard just, yeah. from like any clips i've watched of any of the actors was just like it's the best thing they've ever done in their lives yeah super like, fun and, and they meet up like somewhat regularly i'm sure pretty sure yeah. and just have a have in, a joke when you're off. filming for over a year and then you know you're still coming back for reshoots it definitely would have become like a big family yeah but i mean the film's as, like, perfect as I think they am, there are some flaws, which we should acknowledge. Yeah, I, I think we should. So I only have two flaws. Okay. You you go first, and then I'll see how... See the inside. Yeah. You tell me what you think uh, the flaws are. There's not many women in the film is there now. That's one of the things. Yeah. There's not, there's not many... Um, and you know when people are like oh but this is set in old times it's like it's a fantasy but like you know you could have made some of the you know there's not really any gendered reason why Mm. you know you could have had a few more women in there and also people of colour or minority backgrounds obviously is like zero also again it's a fantasy world so when people are like oh but it's you know it's old fashioned old fashioned doesn't mean the whole world was white and this is a fantasy world as well so yeah Come on, let's just be a bit more. Let's be a bit more imaginative because yeah. this is a fantasy world. The argument goes out the window as well because what's lost on us mm. is the history of women. Mm-hmm. And actually, these worlds we think where women didn't have agency and stuff, they did. It just didn't get recorded. It didn't get written about. It, mm. you know, it wasn't glamorized and valorized in the way that the history of men is. Mm-hmm. So you can't just cop out and be like or women, they just would have been only love interests. No, they wouldn't. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not a thing. Like, I always figured Arwen was a bit of a crap character. Mm. I always felt like she was just a bit like... Well, they tried to give her a bit more. You know, she was more proactive and, you know, saving... uh, Uh, At the start with the horse riding, and, you know, they tried to give her more agency in, like, her decision-making and things. I mean, you can't... It's difficult to sort of change what J.R.R. Tolkien had written. Mm. And, you know, they did make some changes. Um, but, you know... As you have to. Yeah. So, I don't know if that's, like, the fault of the filmmaker or just the book. Like, you probably would have had people up in arms if they had changed the gender of a character, possibly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's no reason why they couldn't have included people of minority backgrounds yeah. as, other, like, as some of the characters. Yeah, that's the thing, is, like, the casting is all white. And it is that... Apart from the... Uh, Guys and the Oliphants. <laughs> yeah, who were like these sort of, what I imagine to be Persian, Ira- Iranian yeah. kind of... Yeah, it's not great. It's like, yeah. oh, why are they being like... And it also says they're like from the from the East. <laughs> like, who? Like, they're <laughs> Where? Just like, from the East. And I mean, that's not... It, it's just annoying because like, 
you are trying to stay true to whatever Tolkien wrote, but like this is representation this is media like you need to remember that people watching your film are going to be influenced by what's on screen exactly like the only role you would have played in that film is one of the people from the east well exactly <laughs> what i've been doing I've been, <laughs> just being riding an elephant uh, yeah and getting shot at by legolas <laughs> yeah. one of the other things i think about the film is legolas and gimli they have a great relationship with each other and a great like development in that way but they almost seem a little bit inconsequential they are like side characters in the quest for sure. I guess it's what's difficult though is how much time can you give for everyone to have like character developing sort of yeah. narrative storylines. Their 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 story together is nice of them becoming friends because obviously like the concept is elves and dwarves have this historic yeah. hatred for each other. Yeah, so they get their own little journey. But I, I don't know. It, it feels a bit like they're a bit inconsequential to me. Mm, I think it, I think Legolas is more so like, as much as obviously love Legolas, etc. Um, there's nothing of gravitas about his existence per se that we learn about or anything. Mm. But at least with Gimli, you know, when they go to the Mines of Moria and thing, you do see that emotion and how, you know, his family or his cousins or whoever they are, you yeah. know, have been killed and everything. And you get a bit more sense of who Gimli is and where he comes from mm-hmm. and what matters to him. Because you really don't get that with Legolas. Yeah. I mean, elves, you kind of have that sort of cold facade, you know, they're very independent, they live forever. Yeah, but that again, to me, feels a little bit like a cop-out because all the other elves that we see in the film are very emotional. Like, Mm, maybe you know, Lady Galadriel is a bit nuts, right? (laughs) Well, Uh, she's not. It's the ring that makes it go a bit No, I know, but like... So I get that, but on screen we are seeing that. Do you know what I mean? Like we, we, we yeah. We, I mean, Legolas doesn't have any like impactful moment really with Frodo per se. Hey, but that's a funny thing. You know, at the end where one of the endings. This is my other flaws. The endings, but when uh, everyone runs into the room, Frodo's in bed. He's like Gimli. Oh, yeah. Aragorn. He doesn't say Legolas's name. No, he just sort of looks at him like. But there you go. You never really had a moment with Legolas. Maybe didn't even know Legolas's name. Yeah, he's like, maybe he's who's just... that? That guy, that elf that was with us. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, That's quite To fun. be fair, at this point, he hasn't seen him for months. Yeah, he's probably forgot his name. Yeah. But that guy that was with us. Yeah. Funny. Um, well, you know, that's fair enough. And... Why do you have another criticism? Well, no, another, it's a flaw, I don't know. It's like, I can see as someone who's an average audience goer, the multiple endings is a bit tough. I'm someone who loves the films. And I'm like, mm. we push through these endings. Come on. I think maybe there's a way that maybe they could have done it without... Because each of those like little segments mm-hmm. always faded to black, which I think might be a mistake. Yeah. Even the music rounds off and closes. And you're like, hmm, like, oh, it's done. And then it comes back in. And then it happens for like three or four times. The only, thing, the only time I think it works okay is when they rest on the Mount Doom's mountainside. Yeah, yeah. And then it closes off. And then you think, oh, is that it? Yeah. Then it slowly opens back up and then... Do that. And then I'm like, okay, okay, no, I get that one. I mean, the presence of the multiple endings doesn't bother me. I think it's the transitions between them Mm -hmm. that I think could be different. I think it's because the reason they are somewhat necessary is because... Or, like, feel not out of place is because, like, you know, the first one spent a lot of time introducing everything. 
I think they would be doing an injustice if they didn't spend a bit of time. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm happy with the content. Yeah. It's just the transitions right, right. for me, I think, is what makes Correct. it feel slightly slower. It's a slow ending, so well, a slow film. But... You can always let Peter know that. Hey, Peter, you can just take that, that fade out. Yeah. Can we get <laughs> a director's cut? Yeah. <laughs> Chop out the fades at the end. All Gucci. Yeah. Happy days. All right, well, we're going to round up here now. Here we go. Because it's been a long episode. I mean... Long, two episodes. Long two-parter first of our first of our podcast actually two-parter here we go um we're not here we go we're here we're finishing (laughs) yeah here we end okay so i have two questions okay what's your favorite film and then also what do you think is the best film they could be the same they could be different i oh (laughs) i actually think my favorite is number one fellowship yep fellowship Mm -hmm. don't think that's the best one i am rather tempted to say the second one is the best one Okay, so I think the best one is The Two Towers, I think, mm-hmm. probably. My favourite one is Return of the King. Really? Even though I was criticising the endings. <laughs> yeah. What is it about the third one that is, makes it the favourite? I don't know, I just get so excited when I watch it. You know, the bit with the Palantir and Pippin, and then yeah. it just feels so, like, everything really builds up, and I love all, like, the individual sequences. For me, I can't say the second one's my favourite. It's because, honestly, and I know it's really bad, but I do get a bit bored with um, the end situation, the stuff in the forest. They're chatting a lot. Yeah, that always bored me as a kid, so I think it's just stuck with me. You know, I don't think it's bad, but just like nostalgic-wise, yeah, not my favourite. And then actually. Fellowship, I always got a little bit also bored in some bits. Well, you know, I just wasn't as, you know, I don't know. The third one really, I don't know, resonated with me the most. I didn't feel bored at all in that film whereas like I remember watching the number one number two in the cinema and at points being like mm, and that you know that those first impressions stay with you so as much as I love them mm-hmm. and as an adult I can you know appreciate the pacing's great but just mm-hmm. from those initial things when you're a kid favourite is The Return of the King I was 11 when it came out just loved it was mm-hmm. really everything comes to a pinnacle I don't know I just had my expectations high and I loved they it delivered delivered yeah. and I, I mean i can even get through those endings and you know it's still my favorite you know i think for me what makes the first one my favorite is um just from the get-go from the opening contextual monologue like prologue, yeah. prologue i'm just like this is very fantastical it almost feels the intro almost feels very um george lucas star warsy mm. in a way to me and and i really like that and i actually quite like the slower than nature. george lucas yeah i mean i'll get more Yes, uh, but I, I would that. I would say I quite like the slowness of the first one. Mm-hmm. And actually, you know, you're getting introduced to everyone and it's just so good. Yeah. I mean, the thing is... It's so nice to watch the first one, I think. The thing is, they're all basically my favourite. It's one film. It's, it's great. It's basically all my favourite. The Return of the King, for some reason, I would just pip it as my favourite yeah. above the others. It is but an amazing series. the best series. one I do think is... Probably the two hours. Yeah. Well, as ever, before we finish, finish off, mm-hmm. round up with what Rotten Tomatoes has got to say. Oh, yes, of course we must. Of course, of course. What do you think Rotten Tomatoes says is the best? Return of the King. I think it says the best. Nope. It's two towers. Yeah. Yep. 95% for the two towers. Okay. Then we have Return of the King at 93%. Uh and then we have Fellowship of the Ring at 91%. Oh, a nice little 2% increase. Yeah. But the audience scores are different. Ah, mm-hmm. the audience score, the third one's the best. Nope, worst. Really? I think people don't like the endings of the third one. Yeah, I can see it's controversial. That's the most, that's the biggest comment or critique I hear about the third one. Yeah. Even though for some reason, I I mean, I can overlook that and the third one's still 
my fave. Yeah. Love the third one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also love the second and first one. So I say if I was to rank them, for me, it's third, second, first mm. in terms of my faves. Fellowship okay. is definitely my least favourite. Even uh, though I still love it, I say, and I still love it. Don't worry, everyone. Still love it. But uh, for some reason, I love the third, love the second, love the first, but it's just not as high as the others. Yeah, I think it's first, second, third for me. Well, we're the opposite. Yeah. Slash very similar, because the second's still in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope everyone's had a... Uh, not too exhausting uh, listen to this episode. It wasn't brief, that's for sure. <laughs> um, I mean, how can you be brief with one of the greatest franchises of all time? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, from the poll we did ages ago on Instagram, I mean... Everyone wanted Lord of the Rings. Everyone Lord of the Rings, and everyone said Lord of the Rings is the best fantasy franchise, and we were not going to disagree with that one. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, we we knew we wanted to spend time on this, and yeah. we did, so... Absolutely. So we're glad you stuck with us. This yeah. is a long episode. Yesterday's episode was a long episode. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we appreciate you sticking, sticking with us. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. Please tell us uh, who your favourite Lord of the Rings character is. Mm-hmm. Tell us your favourite Lord of the Rings movie. Yeah. Or if you've got any favourite moments from any of the movies, we want to know. We do want to know. And tell us what you got on that quiz back yesterday at the very beginning. Oh, yeah. Jiggy got 11 out of 12. Shameful. Shameful. Oh, I had the second part of the <laughs> yeah, sure. answer. Uh, I got 12 out of 12, like I said. Um, oh, but, right. you know. Get off the high horse, uh, mate. <laughs> so. Well, I won't be jumping onto the horse like Legolas did, will I? Oh, yeah, that was a bit nuts, wasn't it? It just swings on. <laughs> I think, like, anatomically, I don't know how that works, but it's a great bit of an- CGI animation, so yeah, fun story uh, with that, but actually, maybe I shouldn't go into oh that. God. Oh, another story. Uh, it's because Legolas, because Orlando Bloom broke his rib, so he had to stop shooting. They were like, well, we'll just shoot the horse without Orlando on it and add him onto it somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone broke something. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you, Peter Jackson, for making... Mm. My childhood with those films. Loved it. Love it. And maybe one day we'll talk about The Hobbit and uh, Rings of Power. Who knows? Or maybe we won't. Maybe we'll just leave it as this. I'm, yeah. I'm happy. I'm happy leaving it as maybe this. Maybe we ignore this. The Hobbit. Well, anyway, never mind. We'll, we'll talk about another one. But thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much. Please share our podcast. Mm-hmm. Please like it. Please give us a rating. We love making it. And, you know, having people listen is the way we can do more. Yeah, that's why we do it. That's why we do it. Love it. So thank you very much, everyone. Thank you so much, guys. See you in the next episode. See you next time. Bye. Bye.